Parenthood is a time of so much change for you and your baby. A little reliable information can go a long way towards making this new life a good life. I'm Jessica Rolfe, and this is My New Life, a Love Every Podcast. There's a lot of advice out there for parents. Not only are parenting books multiplying in number, but they are increasing in volume. And there is certainly no shortage of online resources. Instagram now has so many parenting experts, you can get an almost endless scroll of advice. On the one hand, this is helpful, but it can also lead us to think we aren't doing enough. It's easy to slip into the mode of overparenting. This hands-on approach is sometimes referred to as intensive parenting, but its benefits to both parent and child are up for debate. For a closer look at intensive parenting and how we can recognize it in ourselves, I'm speaking today with developmental psychologist, Dr. Holly Schifrin. She discusses all important parenting skills, like how to stand back and allow your child to experience natural consequences. You co-authored a study called Insight into the Parenthood Paradox, Mental Health Outcomes of Intensive Mothering. At the time of the study, what was your objective in studying this style of parenting? So I was the mother of young children at the time um, that I got the idea to do the study, and so was one of my colleagues uh, that I worked with. And we had become interested in this idea of intensive mothering that had been developed by a woman named Sharon Hayes. Um, just seeing, you know, our, our friends' parents, our friends' parent, our children, and feeling this pressure as parents of young children to be so intensively involved in their lives. And so um, Sharon Hayes's book on intensive mothering was based on a series of qualitative interviews that she had done with women, having them describe uh, their experiences as mothers. And so what my colleague and I tried to do was take the words uh, from the transcripts of those interviews and come up with some questionnaire items that we could ask mothers um, in a more quantitative fashion to make it easier to get information from a lot of women about their experiences of parenting as opposed to an interview, which is very time intensive to do. And then in a follow-up study, uh, after we developed this intensive parenting measure, we uh, ask women to complete that and also to fill out some information about their own well-being, how satisfied they were with their lives, as well as um, if they'd been experiencing depressive symptoms or symptoms of anxiety to try to look at how parenting in this really intensive style affects women's well-being. The five different sort of clusters of questions that ended up coming out of our, our study was The idea, one, that um, mothers view themselves as the primary parent and that women are sort of maybe biologically and evolutionarily predisposed to be the caretakers and that we fundamentally do it better than than men do, than the fathers do. And so that puts a lot of pressure on women to try to take on that role. The second characteristic is that we're supposed to view um, having children as being sort of joyful and fulfilling and and sort of the ultimate um, goal in life, you know, as a woman. Um, A third characteristic is that it is um, uh, our responsibility to really stimulate our children, to work with them, to help develop their you know, physical skills, their cognitive skills, their language, um, all of these things that we really, it's important for us to be stimulating them to develop that, you know, that early brain, the brain research, we know how important it is to provide stimulating environments. A fourth characteristic is that 
everything should be very child-centered. So our kind of schedules and our lives should revolve around the needs of our child and making sure they're getting these stimulating experiences. They're, you know, taking classes, mommy and me classes and things like that. And then finally, this fifth one that also viewed parenting as being kind of challenging. So you can imagine that thinking you have all these responsibilities to stimulate your child and feel joyful while doing it, and that it has to be the mother who does it, could also um, be associated with some feelings like this is hard. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So just so I fully understand, so we're supposed to view happy children as the ultimate goal in life for point number two, or is it more about that we're supposed to be just joy, this whole thing is supposed to be always joyful for us? It is supposed, I think more the second, the idea that, you know, having children is this wonderfully fulfilling experience. It should really be the goal in life for, you know, for women to be mothers. And um, therefore we have some guilt if we feel tired or frustrated with our children, or it's not joyful because you know what, changing diapers, getting spit up on is not so joyful um, and and fulfilling, but you know, then you have this guilt associated if you don't feel that way. And that can be uh, problematic. Did the study compare moms who are working in the home versus moms who also had work outside the home? We did. We looked at both uh, full-time stay-at-home moms, uh, part-time working mothers, and part and full-time working mothers, and looked at how they addressed um, or answered the questions on these different characteristics. And interestingly, all types of mothers endorse some of these things. So I think just sort of as a culture, we are buying into this ideal of being an intensive parent, that that's an important thing to do. But it did show itself slightly differently for um, for uh, stay-at-home moms versus non. And so generally, stay-at-home moms were um, rating higher on things like seeing the mother as being the essential parent, you know, the the born to be the parent mother. Um, But also they were typically rating higher, I think, on it being more challenging also than the part-time working and full-time working mothers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Parenthood is one of the most challenging jobs you can have. It (laughs) is. is being a parent. You don't get a lot of recognition or um, gratitude Mm -hmm. for it. You know, like when you have a job outside of the home, you might get a promotion or a raise that would sort of validate the hard work that you're putting in. But when you're being a parent, you know, it's just, they, they just want to eat every single day, like three times a day, (laughs) you know what I mean? And they don't thank you for it. They just expect it. And so it's, it's hard to, to sort of do that endless task without a lot of recognition and appreciation. So, so tell me what the outcomes that you've observed in this research, what, what happened, what did you discover? So In the study where we looked at sort of the mental health outcomes of the mothers, we saw that um, especially people who were saying, rating very high on this idea of essentialism, that mothers are the essential parent, that they were um, less satisfied with their lives. And then if the people who were saying that they viewed parenting in this fashion as being kind of difficult and challenging were also in suggesting that they had higher stress levels and had um, more depressive symptoms. And one of the things that um, you see is with women having this view that they are the essential parent, they become this type of gatekeeper where, you know, they, they keep the help out. So um, even if they have maybe a spouse or a friend or family member who's willing to help them because they buy into this essentialistic belief so much that they have to be the one to do it. They're the best one to do it and only they can do it. Um, they, you know, they, they won't even rely on the social support that is available to them as much. And that can exacerbate these problems. Mm, that makes so much sense. 
And then can you tell me about some outcomes you've observed in the children of intensive parents? Like how does this affect the child? I haven't done as much with the children. I have one study where we did ask the parents about their, if they, they identified as, you know, in higher on this intensive parenting scale, we were asking them questions about, did they do things like um, solve problems for their children? Did they do things like enroll them in activities and uh, whether they're physical activities or creative activities? And then we asked them questions about the child outcomes. Cause the idea is, right. If you do all these stimulating child centered activities, Children are going to be smarter or they're going to develop more optimally. And so what we found is if you endorse these intensive parenting beliefs, you did tend to kind of solve their problems for them. You did tend to enroll them in these types of activities. But, and again, this was just the parental report. We didn't actually assess the children, but we asked them about their kids' gross motor skills, their fine motor skills, their language, and their happiness levels. And those four outcomes did not correlate at all with any of these other behaviors. So it didn't matter how many activities you had them in. It didn't matter how intensively you parented them. The kids kind of look the same on the these four outcome areas. So it, it kind of seems like you're not necessarily promoting these optimal outcomes that you're hoping for. And at the same time, you're generating stress for yourself. And so that's not ideal. Yeah. And everything you're saying sounds really logical. So we, you know, at Love Every, we promote independence for the child. We really want to help them feel capable. And that also helps the parent, right? Because the child can do more for themselves earlier if you give them the chance to try. I'm trying to understand the difference between intentional parenting, which is very much something that, that felt that resonated with me versus when it starts to get into intensive parenting, which ends up not being as healthy, at least definitely for the mother. I think um, one thing to think about is that there is a difference between just sort of wanting your child to be independent, meaning they don't need you versus wanting your child to be autonomous. Um, There's this whole idea of autonomy support. And that is the idea that your child can make their own choices, but that you as a parent will support them in doing that. So you're not, you know, kicking the bird out of the nest necessarily, but you're helping them decide when it's the appropriate time to leave and giving them the supports they need to help them be successful when they do leave. Um, and so I think, you know, that that's an area that's helpful to think about is how, what, how can I give them choices? Like when you're talking at the younger age group, do you want peas or carrots as your vegetable, right? You give them choices you can live with, but to the extent that you can, you, you allow them that autonomy Um, to make those decisions on their own to the extent that it is developmentally appropriate. That makes sense. It's so helpful to hear you talk about this because I'm understanding it a little little bit more every time you, you speak about it. So can we talk about what the pandemic has done for parenting and, you know, in general, and like, has it made us more intensive or less intensive? You probably haven't done a study on this yet, but I'd love to hear your professional insights on this. No, I haven't. And, um, you know, I could see it going either way. I mean, parents are going to be home much more with their children, especially mothers. I mean, we've seen the research that says that, you know, women are being disproportionately affected by the pandemic in terms of having to leave the job market and come home to um, either help homeschool children or just provide childcare. It, there is the possibility that if if we have more stay-at-home mothers as a result of this, the prior research I have done has said that, that stay-at-home mothers do seem to um, buy into some of these beliefs more, which can make it, you know, 
their, make their mental health suffer more. But on the other hand, if you have women who are actually trying to work from home at the same time, they're trying to provide these uh, childcare needs of homeschooling and, and et cetera, that um, they may not be capable of being a more intensive parent because they're you know, struggling with balancing these responsibilities of work and family life at, during the pandemic. And so I don't know necessarily that those parents would become more intensive, but they certainly will become more stressed. Yeah. The latter is me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've become less, less uh, intensive and, but it's been because I just, you know, there's only so much you can do, right? Really with, with everything on our plates right now. So what are these, what are the factors that are driving this intensive parenting approach? So I don't think, you know, we 100% know, but people have looked at some different ideas on this. Um, One of them is just going back to a biological factor of we tend to see this type of parenting a little bit more in parents who already have anxiety and depressive symptoms. And so uh, one of the ways they try to control that anxiety is by, you know, parenting very intensively. But that also leaves you wondering, you know, if a child ends up then with anxiety and depressive symptoms, is some of that a biological um, predisposition they've inherited versus some of that being the um, environment that they're being raised in with a parent who is parenting in this intensive and controlling manner. So I think that's one piece of it. I think another piece of it has to do with uh, the technology that we have now and how that the idea of um, social comparison on social media. And so that's certainly a concern when we're seeing people post um, the accomplishments their children have and all people are posting are sort of the highlight reel of their life when their child is happy and looks clean and cute and is doing something adorable or, or, you know, looking very advanced. Um, And we are comparing that to what is happening in our homes, which involves, you know, our children tantruming and melting down and um, not doing, you know, cute things. And so although we may be posting ourselves those moments of of sort of happiness and wellness um, as well, we still are making a comparison of other people's highlight reels to our own dirty, messy lives. And that can certainly make us feel bad about ourselves and that our children are not where they should be. And so that can, um, that can contribute to these problems. Um, I think another thing that um, adds to the sort of this competitiveness or social comparison piece is um, economic factors. And so in our country where we don't necessarily have um, things like universal pre-K or free college education, there does seem to be more competition for resources. And so parents think that they need to be more involved. They need to enroll their kids in all of these activities so that they will have this advantage. You know, they'll be better at sports. They'll have, you know, a musical instrument that they play or do better in school. They have tutors for that. So I think all of these things contribute um, to, to making this more of a problem now than it used to be. And when you say problem, the problem is, is the, the parent unhappiness. Is that what I'm understanding that you, that we really know from research? And I think it's a little bit of both. I think we have seen some research that shows that these types of behaviors are associated with, um, you know, the decreased, uh, satisfaction with life and the increased depression and anxiety in parents. But also as I've studied the older college age kids, um, seeing this type of developmentally inappropriate 
parental involvement has also been associated with those same symptoms in the college-age students. What you're talking about is is definitely been circulating in the news <laughs> about um, how we you know we need to just relax a little bit and let our children develop and be independent and grow their skills in and not do everything for them and not failure is important and um, you know we're getting a lot of those messages for sure. Have you seen any differences in kind of the style of parenting in America versus in other cultures? And can you talk to that a little bit? So I do think um, it's this type of intensive parenting is more common here in the U.S. than other cultures, but it's not completely absent. I mean, we, you do have sort of the tiger parenting um, idea in some Asian cultures that is a similar type of idea um, of being that over-involved uh, type of parent. But I think back to some of the um, economic indicators that I was talking about before, kind of speaks to why it's more of a problem here than in maybe some European countries where there um, is less income inequality and less competition about getting into and going to college because it's more freely available. Um, And maybe, I mean, I would say the individualistic nature of Americans makes us kind of competitive also. But then again, uh, you know, the tiger parenting is more common in the collectivistic culture. So that might not be entirely the explanation. And so what advice do you have for parents? We've got a lot of parents of babies and toddlers listening. They might be first-time parents. What advice do you have for them? Um, So I think, you know, going back to something I said earlier about trying to um, support your child's autonomy and their ability to make decisions for themselves is a really important idea. We've seen a lot of research on that, that that contributes to children um, being happier and developing more optimally. So Again, giving them choices that are developmentally appropriate that you can live with and allowing them to make them. And then also, you know, to, to have consequences of those choices within, within you know, the safety of your family. I mean, not let them fall off the roof and break their necks, but, you know, with if you're giving them a choice that, that you can live with, then if they make a choice that has a negative consequence, that they learn to live with that, that there are consequences for their actions. There are some concepts of the idea of sort of like letting your children grow more naturally and develop more naturally rather than cultivating them um, and trusting in the organic growth of your children. So um, providing them, you know, with the nourishment, the love, the, you know, obviously the food shelter, you know, those kinds of things, but the trusting that they're going to, to grow and develop the way that they should, following their lead and their development, you know, seeing what they're capable of and uh, being there as the safety net and support for them, but sort of letting them take the lead and If they're capable developmentally of doing something, allowing them to do that um, and supporting them in doing that so that they can develop these skills, become competent, um, and and that will allow them to be less dependent on you, which will then, in theory, reduce your stress level. I mean... In the, in the book, Balancing the Big Stuff, one of the things that um, Miriam and I talk about is the cycle of dependence, where if we are always doing things for our children, they cannot develop those skills and that competence level. And then when they go out into the world, they're not going to do well um, because they don't have the skills. They haven't had the chance to develop them. And it can be hard to give children that type of freedom because, of course, when they first want to get themselves dressed or they first want to make their own snack, it takes twice as long. It makes a huge mess. And we're just like, let me just do it. It'll be faster. It'll be easier. Um, But if we never let them get through that phase of making the mess and 
being able to do it on their own um, as quickly and efficiently as we would, then they never develop that skill and we always have to do it for them. And so that's that cycle of dependence I was saying, which is going to increase our stress level and ultimately not be what's good for the child. It resonates so much with the Montessori philosophy and the Rye method and a lot of like the parenting sort of approaches that are that are really popular now. Everything you're saying is really resonating. So it's very reassuring to hear that, that the approach that we can take with parenting will also help us feel a little bit better, a little bit more relaxed, a little bit less stressed. Well, it's been wonderful having you with us, Holly. We so appreciate you taking the time. Oh, thank you for having me. Great insights from Holly here. Let's go through them. Takeaway number one, viewing the mother as the essential parent can lead to what Holly calls gatekeeping. This is the notion that no one can do it better than mom, and it has a tendency to increase our stress levels. If you find yourself slipping into this mode, consider asking for more help when it's available. Takeaway number two, Holly makes a distinction between independence versus autonomy in which parents stand back, but offer lots of support. Look for ways in which your child can gain autonomy by making choices, ones that you can live with as a parent. Do you want peas or carrots? Takeaway number three, be aware of how technology has a way of luring parents into competition. The highlight reel in Instagram is not the standard by which you should compare your toddler's milestones. Takeaway number four, be the safety net for your child while allowing them to take the lead when possible. If your child makes a choice that has a negative consequence and it's safe for your child to experience that consequence, give them an opportunity to do so. By allowing your child more autonomy, it will take some of the pressure off you and it will give them practice with skills they need to succeed in the world later on. You can find more parenting styles and support for parents on the Love Every blog at loveevery.com. You've been listening to My New Life. If you think this episode might be helpful to a fellow parent, please share. And if you'd like to learn more about the topics discussed in today's show, head over to loveevery.com. That's L-O-V-E-V-E-R-Y.com. I'm Jessica Rolfe. Thanks for listening.